0: In, uh, in looking at this, trying to finish this topic out, I thought I could do it in two weeks, but uh, after getting in the material, it's not possible, not possible to do it in 20 weeks. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to wrap up these more in a summary fashion. And I think I'm gonna need uh, this week and two other weeks to get this done. And I'm gonna focus the topics uh, of this church-state relationship issue in three topical areas. One of them is, what is our aim? What is our purpose? What's our goal? How, what is that it's all about? What, what, are, what, is, what, is, what are the fundamental boundary lines in this debate? And how do we come about a, a Christian attitude towards that? And uh, the second question we're gonna get into is, do the, and hopefully next week we'll go through and look at the literature that's been done on the issue of when do we obey and when do we not obey a, a civil authority? Okay. How, how what, what are the rules for guiding that, okay? I opened that up a, a few months ago, but I'll, I'll try to at least close it out. And again, that could be a whole series in and of itself, but I'll try to summarize it in, in one lesson. And the last lesson is, in this struggle, how does the church and the Christian fit in together towards the aim of this church-state relationship? So those are the three functional areas or topics. And I'd like to start with, you know, our orientation. Uh, and unless if you would, turn to Revelation and um, <clears throat> we, we've been through Daniel. I'm, I, I, I don't need to repeat that again. it enough time there. But but in Revelation, there are a few landmarks which I think are helpful for us. In, in verse 3, it says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Son of the Father in truth and love. And, and again, I, that grace, mercy, and truth, peace are, are, are key elements of what, we're after as christians we need god's grace to be in covenant obedience with him we need his mercy uh, to renew our mind and heart and the image of christ and we need peace as we try to struggle uh as as christians within the church and also within in, in the state and, and those are the three things that kind of set revelation out this struggle that ran and again i, I don't, I don't want to get lost in this but I've shared with you my eschatology, which kind of guides me in all of this. I think we're in the in the last part of this struggle, uh, you know, particularly in the in the, when when and and you know, got the seals and the trumpets and, and 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 the vials, God's wrath being poured out, so chapter sixteen, etc. cetera. And, and again, in my view, all these things are all three of these things are are overlapping and continuing in, in this struggle of Christ's righteousness, His kingdom, His eternal life. These, these battles go on over and over and over again. But I think we're, we're clearly have to be in the last phase of this, no, no doubt about it. And and in that phase, to me, the struggle that remains as I, I look at Christianity is, you know, can Christ's kingdom coexist with a Christian nation or is, is there some synergy between those? And I see that issue somewhat, but the struggle when Rome became Christian. Yes, Christ's aim is to bring nations to Christ. All right, I, I, I believe that. All right, now we can argue that and to what degree we can argue that, but I think it's clearly that, that was shown in the greatest battle, the first series of battles around three thirteen A.D. when Rome became Christian. The second series of battles, in my mind, were, were over and are continue. All of these battles continue. They're not over, uh, uh, but principally was realized in the Protestant Reformation. of the What is righteousness? How, what is the righteousness of how, how does righteousness fit in? We have, we, the church kind of lost their way. The Trumpets were warning about that. And then the church got, got, I think, it right in, in the Protestant Reformation. And I think the battle we're in today is what does it really mean to be saved? What is eternal life about? And I think that's the struggle that we're out. And God is pouring out his wrath on those that bring out the wrong ideas. Again, I'm, that may be a little distorted. But let me give you a couple of things that kind of guide us in Revelation 1.6. But this is love, that we walk according to the commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it, okay? That we that we're we're called to obedience in Christ's commandments. I'm I'm sorry. I'm in John one. The one didn't sound right. Okay, but that's still a good good passage. It worked out okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Revelation two six. You know, be faithful to the death, and I will give you the crown of life. You know that they, we're, we're we're told that this will be a difficult time. Uh, you know, do not fear that these things that you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison and you may be tested, and you will be in tribulation for ten days. To me, that's an indefinite period of time, I, I think, in, in that sense. You know, that that, that we're, we're called to be faithful in this struggle. I think these apply to us. And then in Revelation 12, uh, I, <clears throat> uh, I think it's 11, and he said, yeah, <clears throat> I'm sorry, 12, I'm going to get time find 12, 12, 10. Twelve, eleven, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of his testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. That, to me, this the answer in this church state issue is not a simple answer. You have to have all three of those ideas together. You, ha- you have to have the blood of the Lamb. You have to have been renewed in the image of Christ. Your mind. Uh, renovated, that with enlightened with the knowledge of Christ. The blood of the Lamb has to motivate you. you, that, you know, that sense of you were saved by His mercy alone. Okay, you know, you know, the Word of His testimony, the Word of God has to be central in your life. It has to be that the Word of obedience. When we read Revelation, when we read Romans nineteen, Romans thirteen, we need to keep in mind that we're called to obedience, and, and that that obedience is guided by the Word of the Spirit. And then finally, we have to uh, you know, uh, not love our lives unto, unto death, that we need to be willing to understand that truth preservation must guide over over, over, uh, over self-preservation and that we're called to a special calling as Christians. So anyway, we'll come back to this principle. But me, I think the answer is, you know, we're, we're in this struggle that Christ foretold in the gospel, and this kind of gives us some guidelines to get there. But I don't want to get tied up in all that today. I'm just trying to give you a context and a summary. Today, I'm going to cover again. I'm going to stick mainly to the book, Our Covenant Heritage. I'm trying to follow an outline. And and I'm certain if I were to write this again today, I would write it differently. Okay? No doubt about it. But I want to share with you where my mind was, you know, 20 years ago now. And, and I think it's a good starting point in all of this because, you know, I, I did kind of what I'm doing now. I read everything I could possibly read, and I tried to summarize it, write it down, and, and did I fall short? Sure, okay. But, but I think it's helpful to kind of kind of get our mind around what really, where do we draw this line between church and state? Because I think we've lost our way. So I'm going to kind of go through this, uh, and, and, and I'm, I promised I'd go to David Dixon. I'll do that in just a minute, all right? You know, that essentially that, that what we're struggling with is we're in a different era. This last era, I believe, kind of is, is highlighted by John Locke's essay concerning human understanding. One of the most influential books next to the Bible. It inaugurated an age of reason and enlightenment. Though longer was man perceived truth as absolute, each man was now his own God. Now, I'm not, I'm not speaking of Locke in a favorable way. I think that when we look at Locke, yes... He did kind of open, in this church-state relation, he gave us some guidelines that were very influential in our American system. That's all good. Praise the Lord for him. That's good. But there's also a sense in which he, he, he destabilized the anchor to the Word of God in how we respond. I mean, and, and, and I think this has showed up in our American system. It's kind of, you know, and let me give you another context that's very helpful. Uh, one of them is that when you look in the past, up until this era, There was not a, we have two events that sort of promote the idea that there is some sense in which it's appropriate to rebel against authority, and I think one of them is in the American Revolution, okay? We could dwell on that. Was that a just cause? Was that that following the right Christian principles? I would argue, yeah, in, in many ways, yes, but, you know. Uh, and, and, and it's kind of hard to argue against. It's like arguing against motherhood. So I'm going to put that in the yes category. Now we need to understand what the rules were there. But there's also a, a case that not many of us are, uh, not many in the world are that familiar with, but it's called the Glorious Revolution uh, uh, in, and, uh, in England when uh, James II. Was a Catholic king and he would have started a Catholic dynasty in England, and we would be Catholic rather than Protestant today, where that could full all of through. But there was a revolution in 1688 where William and Mary, uh, who had lineage back to the earlier King James, uh, were put on the throne in England. And, they, they, and as I talked last week, they established Presbyterianism in Scotland, Anglicanism in England. Uh, but nonetheless, that was a rebellion. I mean, can, you, can, you, can a government rebel against a king? Yes, there are, there are historical precedents for us to do so. And, but, but there's also a sense in which if you take it too far, you're following John Locke rather than the Bible is all I'm trying to communicate there. And, and I see, in our, even in our own Presbyterian understanding of, of chapter 23, I think that we've been overly influenced by John Locke, but I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. In the last part of the seventh century, the first time in a thousand years of Western history, a deliberate attempt was made on a grand scale to organize a religiously neutral civilization, a political, economic, ethical, and intellectual structure independent of Christianity. You know, I'm, I'm quoting, I've got my citation there, but I mean, the net result was an unreaded treat, treaty of peace that continues to this day between church and state and, and its enemies, both within and without the church. Okay, James Nichols. That a very interesting observation, That what we really have have settled with is a partial truth, that we're following a thing which that's possible to be religiously. Is it possible for a nation to be religiously neutral? Are we learning anything from the experience in America today? We're trying to be religiously neutral. How well is that working for us? I don't think it's working very well. I don't know that it's even possible, but I think that's that's what we're in. There was this sort of sense of, okay, we're going to discard God's way. But we're going to develop some principles and thoughts on how to be religiously neutral. And, and it's not possible. It's a fool's error. God made us in his image. He, he wrote the law in our heart. Okay? It's not possible to be religiously neutral. There will be a religion, whether you want it or not, and that religion will govern, even if it's secular humanism, it will govern what you do. Florence McCory remarked concerning the Covenanters, No city of God has ever, ever been achieved. The splendor of Scotland's ministry was they tried. The tragedy was not that they failed. Failure was inevitable. The tragedy was that even as they crowned their covenant king on Scone, they did not know that they'd failed. I mean, the point was that the Scott, this, this issue in the covenant heritage is about the Scottish people wanting a king to establish, to be able to uh, bring about the covenanted and reformation, and, and they failed. I mean, you know, that's not the answer. The answer isn't in a king, that's not the answer. Okay, and, and, and that's kind of what they learned, I think. You know, they, they were wanting the king for the wrong reasons, okay? Calvin's advice, even though all the princes of the earth were to unite for the maintenance of the gospel, still we must not make that the foundation of our hope. In other words, when you, when you misplace the foundation of your hope with an earthly government, uh, you're in big trouble. I mean, I think is the bottom line conclusion. You're, you're, you've, re- you've taken the anchor off its right place, even though, even though I'm, I'm not arguing against the fact that there can be such a union, but I'm saying you have to be careful not to put it in its primacy. In Psalm seventy-two, uh, yeah, Solomon lists twenty benefits of Christ's kingdom, His kingdom in heaven and on earth. Many of these benefits, promises of Christ's kingdom, involve godly magistrate and great magistrate blessings. They provide His people. I'm going to read them to you here. I think it's absolutely. Wonderful. I think it's what we're missing. What's wrong with what we're doing? Okay. What's wrong with the way we're going today? Okay, I'm going to read these covenant blessings to you.
1: Ed, yes. Before you start on that, uh, is the quote so there from Nichols,
0: yeah.
1: he's arguing that America, basically, the United States, mm-hmm. was an attempt to organize a religiously neutral civilization?
0: Now, not necessarily in its primacy, but it became that. I mean, that was sort of the underlying roots of it. Okay, he he he's sort of saying that he sort of sees. I mean, I, I think I think you can't take that literally as if it's a monolithic change. But that seems to be the overall direction of where we're going. Okay, is, is there want is there some questionnaire discussion on that point?
1: No, I mean I, I would say as long as you don't take it to mean that. Uh, I mean, it's just somebody's opinion of history. So. What if, right, right, right. Um, I would. My point would just be that. I don't think that our country, and its founding, and I, don't, I don't think you do either, right. uh, was aiming to be uh, separate from religion, right? Or separate from God, but then right. it, it certainly did become
0: that. Yes, right. yes, yes, right. yes, right. yes. Okay. Now, he, right. he puts it as a very deliberate attempt. You know, well, I would argue that, you know, you could debate that on how deliberate it was, sure. okay? But, but it certainly was, you can't deny it, it certainly was moving the goalpost. Okay, we certainly we certainly stepped away from the rules and patterns of Calvin, and the things were there. We certainly set a new frontier. It's been good. Okay, there's been many good things about it, mm-hmm. except the problem is, what happened to the moral law? I mean, you know, we have a government now that this separation of church and state has become mm-hmm. what this is said here. So, so I, I think I think maybe there's truth in this quote because he's sort of re re reading into it. Where we are today maybe too much, but I think there's some legitimacy. I think that's really where I'm trying to argue here. Isn't that where we, you know, whether, whether it was intended or not, that's where we are. We've, we're heading towards a division to where we're wanting to strip out from our, our, our society anything Christian whatsoever. That's been the net result. And, and, and I think that's the point I'm trying to get at. But what I want to focus on here in Psalm 72, David Dixon's, he lists... Um, let me get it right here. 70, 60, 70. I'm going to get my Roman numerals right. 72. Hang on. getting there. Hang on. 72. 72. XV. Uh-uh, 72. Okay. X, L, H, 6, 7, 2 X's. Okay. I'm getting there. Hang on. Hang on. Okay. Here we are. We're getting there. Nope. Not there yet. 72. X, X, I, I. Hang on. X, X, I. Okay. Okay, here we are. Song of Solomon. All right. Let me me read you David Dixon's psalm. If you would, turn to Psalm 72 and read along as we go here. But, you know, He shall judge the people with righteousness and the poor with judgment. You know, Dixon brings this up as his first two points you know, of, of the benefits of Christ. First is that Christ's subjects shall have good rules on how to carry themselves in all their duties, how to behave righteously, how to be righteous by direction and conduct. He shall judge the people of righteousness. In other words, we have lost that framework as a nation of having a righteous framework, having, having God's law in a very central place in our framework. Isn't it a blessing? Can you imagine how great society would be if it did have his, how, how, from God's intended plan for righteousness to be there's to be an overlap or a coincidental relationship between God's law that's what's written in our heart. How, you know that's the principle about. our heart, we're made to, to be in God's image. We're in a world which says no you're not. you've you, you got to bring that out. Think, point of Dixon's trying to what a blessing that is to live in a land where, where righteousness is pursued. The second bit. Is commanding Christ will see the necessities of his subjects, the humble ones, the afflicted ones, to be su- supplied most discreetly and the wrongs to them to be done repaired. That, that a government, you know, in terms of having some sense of right and wrong, uh, you know, of what, what is poor, what is right, so what is just, okay, uh, judgment, the, how do we give judgment to the poor? If we don't have, don't have the right sense of what right and wrong is, okay, the mountains shall get, bring peace to the people, and the little hills by righteousness, okay. And his point to so the third benefit is that Christ is not to take away the civil government or potentates places nor the several orders or ranks of the greatness of superiors and inferiors, powers, rulers, judges, and all those who are fixed rather by, by Him for the good of the people. The superiors as mountains that influence the little hills. So here you have the situation where our civil authorities are supposed to be, in God's plan, mountains to guide the rest of us. I don't know about you, but I don't see many mountains up there, okay? They're almost like valleys, okay? What we, you know, God's intent, these blessings that God lays out in as order as it should be, I'm, I'm talking about as order as it should be, is that they should be mountains, they should be leading us, okay, forth. The fourth benefit is Christ shall make such magistrates as to embrace him for their Lord and governor, a blessing to the people under them. For by their righteous government, the people shall live quiet and safe in God's service under them. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills how shall, how shall, you know, so bring by, by righteousness. So, so here you have that relationship worked out to where, to where, let me ask you this. Can there really be true peace in the world, when that peace is defined as something apart from the peace that God has ordained, it's not possible, okay? Somehow, you know, we, we kind of accepted that, 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 that's, that that's okay. We, this separation is there, but God's given us a blessing of leaders. Let me go on here. The fifth benefit all be that Christ suffered in, in verse 5. Fifth benefit, that Christ suffers subjects to be brought low in the sense of our own weakness and danger of being swallowed up by their persecutors shall be, be, shall be taken their controversy to, to his cognition and deliver his people out of the hands of the advers- adversaries. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy. He shall break into pieces the oppressors. Well, is our society heading in that direction right now? I mean, they're, they're really breaking. What they're trying to break is not the oppressors. They're trying to break the Christians, okay? They're trying to break the righteous, okay? The they're, they're they're, 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 they're riots in the street, theft, you know, all of these things We go on and on again. It, We've just lost our way. The sixth benefit is Christ, the true king of Israel, shall never want a kingdom. He shall never want subjects. He shall always have a church as such shall worship and fear him and do homage unto him so long as the world stand, standeth amidst all charges of revolution that can come. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and earth endureth throughout all generations. Nor he's promised that there will be a, a realization of the, of, uh, in, there will be an increasing recognition by the nations of the necessity of, of Christian obedience in this sense It's really where it's coming from. the seventh benefit, whatever whatever sad condition his people shall be, how far whatsoever spoil or lustre and glory in the world or any other respect whatsoever they shall be made as moon down meta possibly uh, yet Christ by his word, spirit and effectual blessing shall revive and recover them as grace cutteth down, being watered by rain and made to grow he shall Come down like rains upon the mown grass, and the showers of the water of the earth. They benefit, is that all true subjects of Christ are justified persons and devoted in their hearts to righteousness and obedience to God's will, and such as endeavor to abound the fruits of righteousness. As the righteous shall flourish in his day. You know, and, and again, let me let me. I don't have time to read all this, so let me go back to verse nine and pick it up from there. Okay, they shall dwell in the wilderness, shall bow down before them, and the enemy shall lick the dust. You know, here, here it is that, you know, that the enemies of Christ and his church will lick the dust. That's what, that's what ultimately is where, where things are heading in the world, okay? But that's not what we are heading for right now. The kings of Tarsus and, and the tail and the owl shall bring presents. The king of Sheba and, and Seba shall offer gifts. So here are gifts brought from the nations to the church. That's kind of the picture that's given here. And again, when you look at, look at the reality of our, our wealth and our nation, where is it focused? Is it focused in that direction no. though? All the kings shall fall down before him, and nations shall serve him. Wow, that, that's is that the intended plan? Well, it doesn't look like it where we are today. And he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, and the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy, and some souls of the needy. He shall redeem the soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall be the blood in his spirit, in, in his sight. And he shall and he shall live, and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer may be offered, may, shall be made for him continually in prayer, and pray daily, shall he be praised. There shall be a handful of corn on the earth upon the tops of the mountains, and the fruit whereof shall shade like lebanon, and they, they, and they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. And the, the last one, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. 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 Call him blessed. I don't know how many times I need to repeat that, okay? Where are we heading? Where are we today? We're not there. Okay? Christ is doing a work that 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 isn't necessarily consistent with the way we believe today as modern Christians. Dr. understanding. You know, I'm just trying to draw us back from this, this, this sewer we're in, and look at what God intended it to be. That's all I'm trying to contrast here. And, and, and that's the point I want to make. But, but Ed, yeah.
2: in our nation, yep. we had a presumption that you had men that would be rulers that feared God. Yes. Whether they were Quakers, right. whether they were Baptists, whatever yep. that was going to be, the gamut. Right, right. But it was always assumed, yep. always assumed, yep. that they would fear God. So, right. therefore, our laws would, that we made in this land would have been somewhat, as civil magistrates, yes. should yep. have been in place with Psalm yep. 72. Yep. Yep. And for the, and for yep. the large part yep. of our country's history, it yep. has been. Yep. Alright? You know, but you're right. The but, but ultimate ones that always came back that Christ talked over and over again in the structure that Israel had. Yep. You know, if you were working fine and yep. good, yep. but who was not ever able to work? Yep. Or with it? What about the orphans in the street that didn't right. do that? So you had those, the poor, you had those that it was always given that those that were oppressed, that were poor, that were needy, you should take care of them. You had a responsibility, civil rights, civil magistrate to see that your laws did that. Right. Right. And for a large part of our country, not all of it perfect, right. but that has been upheld. Yeah. Now, and where we're living is, with what you just said, None of
0: these things. Right, are right. Now you, those blessings. We're, we're missing these blessings.
2: I mean, okay. it's like they don't, you know, it right. doesn't exist anymore. Right. So, but my, my point is, if I connect the dots and say, and I'm, and I'm simplifying it somewhat, but nobody fears God. Right. Nobody right. thinks about this king right. who is going right. to right. come and say, right. wait right. a minute. Right. I put you in power. Right. I put you there. Look right. at your scorecard, buddy. Look right. at where you right. stand. Right. Right. right, Anyway, I just—I I agree with you. That's the piece. But, but you're right. The, the simple things now maybe not simple, but the fundamental things that we were always taught and to to grow up in. I don't even think those are even really being taught anymore. Right. But you know, of honesty, of integrity, right. of how right. you treat others, like
0: you right. want to be treated. All
2: right. those right. things. All that seems to
0: just right. as, as an engineer, I, I, there's something called the bathtub curve. Mm-hmm. Okay, where things just go along real like the bottom of the bathtub for years and years and years and we don't notice it. But all of a sudden when we hit the wall of the bathtub, we notice it. We're at the wall of the bathtub, yeah. okay? The things are really beginning to change here. Let me go back to the question Trent raised. Y- yes, I, th- I think there's a legitimate reason for this because what if you go back and look at the original South Carolina Constitution, look it up online, Okay. It's the most interesting or most of the states had, had constitutions which required mm-hmm. some form of obedience to the word. I mean you know they, they've tried they were really a fairly good summary of, of what a Christian nation should be. but uh, but by, by 1830 every one of those constitutions had been, rewritten in light of the American Constitution, okay? Don't I, I, get me wrong. I, I, I got a top-secret government clearance. I'm not <laughs> overthrowing the government. That's not where I'm coming from. My, my point is we've lost our way, okay? And, and somewhere in our original founding ideas, something was defective in that approach. Not that it isn't good. Not that it's the best government on the earth. But all I'm trying to say is it isn't this government that's outlined here in Psalm 72. That's all I'm trying to get to. We're not it there yet. Be, but it's not. We're not, okay. We're closer than any other nation has been, but we're not there. And all I'm trying to say is, do we settle for a half glass or a full glass? I'm ready for a full glass. How do we get there? Okay, that's the point I'm trying to get to. I
1: don't know if you saw when one of the first things the Speaker of the House said, the new one, uh, what's his name, Mike Johnson? Yep. Uh, He was addressing the whole floor and said, um, all of you have been put here in this place, by God to lead, yeah. Um, and the reaction to that on places like what used to be called Twitter, um, people were calling it um, Christian nationalism, yeah, Christian supremacy, uh, oppressive, yeah. and all those things. And it was, I mean, it, again echoing the point about how far we've gone, yeah. Um, but just for somebody to stand up in public and say God put you there,
3: yeah, right, it's, it's absurd.
0: It is it is and and the, i think the fundamental issue is we've we've what is our you know anyway there's so many there's so many things wrong i'll end the where to begin i just want to recognize the fact that this is how god described it should be okay or really this is how god described it should be but this is where we are and ha- what's wrong in our thinking is all i'm trying to say is there's something obviously wrong in our thinking okay that's all i'm trying to get to all right, next point. And again, I'm going to try to not read these, but cover the main idea here. Principle one. I mean, I, I identified five principles that, that are sort of like boundary markers. You, know, you may not agree with me on point five, but I think most people would agree with you on, you know, at some point in the line, you're going to leave the train. You're going to say, I'm, I'm leaving your train at point two, or I'm leaving your train at point, or, I'm not even with you on point one. But I'm trying to say that there are five steps in the right direction. All right. The church, first number no one, church and state are entirely distinct and have immiscible purposes and natures. However, they share many mutual obligations. That's the first point. And I think that's fundamentally in our in our confessional doctrines and framework, that there is a church and the state, and that they are different, they have different spheres. And I think it is legitimate to see the sphere of the nation or the state as more or less the moral law in its, in, its, in its basic fundamental principles. We could debate which one of the, whether it's all ten rules or the last five or whatever, but the moral law itself written in our heart clearly uh, is what is foundational to the state itself. The church, and, and again, Bible lays out very clearly, they're to punish evil, okay? Uh, you know, they're, they're to promote justice. Uh, so there's some fundamental principles we can deduce from that, uh, from the state and the church. They have different purposes. But but just because they have different purposes doesn't mean they don't have moral obligations, okay? And, and you know, as Calvin says, the church is an internal spiritual entity. The state is an external temporal entity. Point number one, it, it, you know, I would add the word an internal spiritual eternal entity, okay? And you know, and the state is you know, uh, you know, essentially, I must have I must have written down something wrong there. But anyway, it's a temporal entity. Okay, it's not eternal. The magistrate uh, neither ought to preach nor nor minister the sacraments, uh, nor essentially clerk, nor yet prescribe any rule on how it should be done, but command the ministers to observe the rule of the world and punish the progress. The minister should exercise not the civil jurisdiction, jurisdiction, but teach the magistrate. How to, be exor- how to be exercised according to the Word. Look at the example of Daniel. Daniel didn't write a bunch of treatises. He didn't do a lot of protest. He would just, he just used, used Christian obedience, okay, in, in, in the truest sense of moving forward. Uh, that's what magistrates should be. He wasn't afraid to be a magistrate. He was a magistrate. So it's not something we're not called to do. It's not, it's not inconsistent with Christian principles, but, but there's a way to do it in the Daniel way that we need to learn from. Concerning the great hazard of religion, establishing a permanent bond in the state, Tocqueville, there, there are two guideposts I used in, in this analysis. If you haven't read uh, Democracy in America, read Tocqueville's summary. He came to America in the early days and was a good observer of the nature of things, lots of good observations. And the other was James Thornfield, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But, as, but talkable said alone, religion may hope for immortality linked to affirmable powers. It follows their fortunes and often fails together with the passions of the day, sustaining them. That's kind of what happened to the Covenanters. He remarks that religion was the first of their the American political institutions, although it never intervenes directly in the government. So he kind of, in a way, we kind of had it right in in a sense of that relationship. There was some they were still fundamentally Christian at heart as a nation. And, and there was a respect of these things is really what he's saying in the early constitutional framework. If religions are to be capable of maintaining themselves in a democratic age, it is not enough that they remain within the spiritual sphere. Okay, well, I think that's a good point, but, uh, you know, it's, I'm reading a secular authority, but it's a good point that, that, we, that, we, that we, yes, Daniel, did Daniel remain in the spiritual sphere? In his personal life and practice, in his heart, yes, but did he not have, was he not made in, in God's image to rule and have dominion? Was there not some sense in which there's some sense in which he's there? So, so we, can't, we can't break these things apart in a way that we can't pull them together. Unfortunately, over the last three centuries, there have been a complete reversal regarding moral obligations of church and state. Today, states consider the people, not God, as a source of power. And, and, and again, that's a democracy, okay? It, I, 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 I think it's helpful to digress here a minute, okay? You know, the people are the source of a power in a democracy because it's a state, and there's a real biblical argument for that. The biblical argument goes back to Noah. If you read Genesis, what did Noah establish? He established the rule that the shedding of the blood will be punished. Who did he give that commandment to? The people, okay? The people are the ultimate authority and ultimately responsible for not for maintaining those rules on the shedding of blood of others. So there is a true biblical both a secular foundation for that principle, that the people have that authority. But there is an extent to where that rule breaks down when you try to remove God completely from it. It, it doesn't work anymore, okay? And, if you, and let me give a third data point. In, in the past, in early governments, people gave the authority over to an individual, okay? The chief of a tribe, the nation, the king. So, up until the, the latest experiments, you know, in our current democracy, so to speak, the nations in the world were observed by there was a king or a leader or a man or a tribe or, 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 or and in many cases, a senate or a government, okay? Uh, there was a head power that had the authority to make the rules. And there was, in our nation, we pull from all of these ideas, which is good, okay? Uh, but there is a point to where we, we, we've got, gotten completely away from that whole sense of, of the people by themselves, the democracy but, uh, democracy taken to extreme is anarchy, okay? We don't want that. There has to be constitution. Our government has constitutional rules. It isn't just a person that rules, which is great. There's good things about our system of government. I'm not trying to say there's not, okay? My problem is in removing religion from every crack and crevice, we've kind of created this situation.
1: Mr. Ed, yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm sure you've read The Defense of Liberty Against Tyrants,
0: mm-hmm. that uh, Huguenot book that yeah. was written by, we don't really
1: know who, but it's attributed to a guy named Junius Bruce. Right. But uh, he defended basically the concept you're talking about and spoke of there being basically three covenant relationships in every nation that's going to pursue government like this. Mm-hmm. And you see them laid out in the Old Testament. He defends it from Old Testament that there's a relationship with the leader and God. There's a relationship between the people and God. Yes. And then there's a relationship between uh, the leader and the people. Yes. And that even when you have like Saul set up as a king, yes, God set him up, but the people affirmed him yes. as their yeah. king, and right. there was that mutual relation. And you right. notice through the prophets that when the prophets would come, they would address all of those relations mm-hmm. they would address how the king is in his personal relations with god how he is in his relations with the people how the people are in relations with with god i mean you could you know right. maybe work out a fourth covenant too but um i mean it's it's that's a very good defensible. that's a very insightful point yeah, yeah. i mean it's biblically yeah. defensible the things right. you're talking
0: about so. right and, and, and so so you know so our government pulls a lot of those principles which is good and i, I don't want to get rid of the good here what I'm saying is when we so remove the, the word of God and God from the center of that, the core is rotten, okay? It's not that the principles are bad, but if the core is rotten, the whole apple is going to end up being rotten, and that's kind of where we've, we've gone, okay? Um, in the words of James Thornton, in there, this is James Thornfield, American Presbyterian, Southern Presbyterian as you can get, uh, and, and anyway, and that's kind of where we are. In, in, in our uh, American forefathers' anxiety to guard against the evils of religious establishment, they virtually expelled Jehovah from the government of the country. So yes, I am, I am saying that in that sense, we lost our way. And our desire to try to form this perfect government it exists by having good men and, and good people, and you know which it can't, it can, okay? But, but the core of it, when we expel Jehovah from the government itself, We've lost the core. We've lost the foundation. We've lost our reference point. And it's kind of like, while well, I'm reading, um, you know, uh, Santiana, uh, George Santiana. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his ra- name appropriately. But he's got some good, he's, he's a very much a liberal guy, okay, no doubt about it. He wrote a book, The Last Puritan, where he, in The Last Puritan it's all about how we as Puritans we set duty above everything else, and, and all the other things fall apart relative to duty. It's an interesting critique of the extreme. But what it misses is it doesn't, it doesn't have any sense of that original ethic of what true Christianity is all about. So it's a secular thing. But anyway, if you've heard this statement, you know, those that don't uh, uh, study history or fail to repeat it, George Santana. Okay, that, that's where that quote came from. Another one I thought was very good was... Uh, about Wiley to the out. My kids watch this cartoon, Wiley the Coyote, I mean, he falls off the cliff and does all this kind of stuff. And, and, it, and his quote kind of was, was taken over and adopted to that. But he says, a fanatic is somebody, when he meets failure, who doesn't change his aim but redoubles his effort. Okay, <laughs> that, that, that I think is a very good point. But anyway, he was very good at coming up with these quotes. He had another quote which I thought was very good, which is at the heart of where we are. What is intelligence? He said intelligence is the power to be able to see the past, the present, and the future as it really is, was, and will be. Okay? Now, let me ask you that. If you don't have God in there, can you have intelligence? By the, if, that was a secular definition of what intelligence is. There's no wisdom. There's no wisdom. How can uh-huh. you possibly have intelligence... If you can't see the past, present, and future as it will be, okay? It's not possible, okay? So anyway, all I'm getting at is is, is, is that even from secular people, we can learn a lot of, to me, a useful insight. Maybe we pollute our mind. Uh, God forgive me, okay? But, but I, think, I think we begin to see, we need to be able to see how the world sees us and then better able to critique where we are. Principle number one, and I'm not going to get through these either today. The church and the state are entirely distinct. And I've already done that. Okay, I've already got that. Fortunately today, the soul of power of James don't have done that. Let so to me go to page three. All right, okay. Let me go to page three. Let me get, let me get my bearings here. Then I should have printed this book out the other way. Principle number one. The American preparatory I, I don't have time to get into this issue. This is another day and another dollar. But if you look at how our confession was written, our, our confession was written differently than the original confession of the Westminster Assembly. The original confession of the Westminster Assembly uh, saw value in having an established religion in the country. Okay? Now, that isn't an idea that is very well received in our presbytery, Okay, but nonetheless, that's what our original founders, almost to the man, believed that a government should, that was the world they lived in. They weren't, they weren't experiencing all of these so-called wonderful fruits of democracy that we have today. Uh, you know, that was their world. That was what they saw. They were read the Bible. They were bound to do To me, I think, I think to say that's not biblical is absurd. Okay, that's very biblical. Our government, I'm, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm saying there's some sense in which the middle definition is the PCA definition. I'm not going to say that's wrong, I think there's there's truth in it okay I, I, I there's nothing untruthful in it it's consistent with the Word of God in many ways that we're nursing fathers, so there is a sense in which you bring in yet as nursing fathers it is the duty the civil magistrate to protect the church of a common law without giving preference and this is where I think maybe it goes you know without any denomination well certainly okay, I agree with that, not the government should not give preference, okay, but on the other hand, if you take that to the extreme of any preference to any religion, including Islam and Mohammedism and uh, devilism and Satan worship and all this. I'm like, where, where do you take that to that? So I don't think that was the intent of our confession. That's not what I'm saying. But the point is that the confession is missing, I think, something that the ARP, confet- the ARP confession was written during that same time period, just a few years later. All right. I think it's better. Okay. I think it gets a better sense of this relationship. The civil magistrate may not assume to himself the ministration of the world sex or the powers of the kingdom of heaven, yet as the gospel revelation lays indispensable obligations about all classes of people who have favored with who have favored with it magistrates as such are bound to execute their respective office in subservience thereunto. Okay, so, so there is a sense in which th- that, that the execution of the office is somewhat bound to the word administrating government on Christian principles, ruling in the fear of God according to the direction of the word, and those who shall give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God has appointed to be judges of the world. They, they're, they're responsible to God. They have that obligation. Hence, magistrates as such in a Christian country, Christian country, is that what we are? That's what I think our intention was. We could debate that. Are bound to promote the Christian religion as the most valuable interest of the subjects by all Such means as are inconsistent, they're not inconsistent with the civil rights and do not imply any interference with the policy of the church, which is free and independent kingdom of the Redeemer, nor any assumption of dominion over conscience. So it says all the same things our confession says, but it has a positive value and role for that common obligation. Our confession kind of leaves, it throws a bone to it. Oh, they're nursing fathers, but it doesn't elaborate what it is. To me, I think the ARP confession elaborates that. But I'm, I'm a PCA guy, I'm not ARP, but I think there's, there's value in, in that in that I think there's a,
1: a question that's being begged or an elephant in the room with the American one that nobody really wants to address. Yes. And maybe there's several elephants, probably are, but one of them is, were they addressing the federal government
0: mm-hmm.
1: or the state government?
0: Good point, good point.
1: Because I'm totally okay with the PCA's definition, as long as we're talking about the federal government. Mm-hmm. I don't want a man in Washington, D.C., whom I've never met- Good point. To be deciding, All and right. I don't think it's biblically necessary to say that the man in Washington, D.C., has authority over the religious convictions right. of the people of South Carolina. Yeah. However, I think our original American intention would have seen that the states do have that right. You already yeah, addressed yeah, it. Yep, yep, yep. 1830s yeah. over the right, 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 right. But that I would say that from what I can understand, I haven't read a ton on it, but from what I can understand about what they were doing in the 1780s when they made this change, was they were trying to balance things as they were right. in a federation of states. Right, right. This was,
0: this, yeah, the context was still when most states had constitutions right, that right. were in a good point, yep. good point.
1: And right. what they're addressing is the president. Right. The Senate. Right. And all those things. Not, you know, government master. Right. And those kind of things. Good. To me, and I know this is not really to do with the Sunday school lesson, but to me the pathway forward for our country is not mass consolidation where mm-hmm. we right. finally get the president right. or right. anything like that. Right. It's a reorientation towards right. our local focus in right. our city. In our states.
0: Well, you you would, you would be right in line with James Thornbull. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly where he was coming from. I did name my son right, after him. Right, right. Okay, all right. Okay, that that's exactly where he's coming from. And 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 I, I'm not trying to get into the states' right side, or you've got a mm-hmm. guy throw me out as an extreme right. This but what I'm trying to say is, but well, there's truth there. Yep. That 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 the local level, the local government. I mean, there's a way. There is a balance that can be obtained here. That doesn't require the... Fact. And then maybe that's the right answer. Okay. All I'm saying is where we are today isn't the right answer. Somewhere we've lost the track here. And that's all I'm trying to communicate. Good point. Okay. Uh, principle two. States are obligated. Okay. Now I think most of you are with me here so far. Number two. States are obligated to acknowledge God as a source of authority. Churches are obligated to educate the state regarding the obligations. Both share the common end of, to advance the glory of God and the common good. Now, we could argue on what we mean by states, okay? Uh, you know, I think clearly I think we would mean that as a local government. Is it the national government? We could argue that. I think in some sense that should be the truth, too. You know, so, so essentially there's a common obligation here. Are governments accountable to the people or to God? Well, I think the answer is probably both. In America, talker will a warrant, and as, as, as Trent laid out, a more trifold view. I like that better. In America, talkable warned, the irresistible power of the majority is a c- continuous fact and a good use only an accident. Further, he warned that the despotic nature and power of the majority, under the absolute monarchy of a single man, despotism to reach the soul clumsily struck at the body, and the, skull, the soul escaping such blows, blows rose gloriously above it. But in a democratic republic, that is not at all how tyranny behaves. It leaves the body alone and goes straight after the soul. Isn't that kind of what's happening in America today? I mean, you know, this, this, this tyranny of the majority. If freedom in America is ever lost, this will be due to the omnipotence of the majority driving the minorities to desperation and forcing them to appeal to physical violence, okay? Uh, Tocqueville, you know, also had a saying, is that the worst form of tyranny is tyranny of the majority. Okay, and so we have the structure that's there. He asks, How can a society escape destruction when its political ties are relaxed, moral ties are not tightened? And what can be done with a people master of itself if not subject to God? The reality is that Christians no longer that Christianity is no longer the religion majority and the trend will have dire consequences on our precious freedom of religion. Next point. Thornwell contended the fundamental error of our fathers was that they accepted a partial for a complete statement of truth. I repeat, I think that's worth repeating. Our fathers, it's back to this issue of how did we go wrong? It, it's this partial but not complete statement of the truth. It, it may have been appropriate in its context and time, as Trent kind of laid it out. Maybe it was right then, okay? But somewhere it lost the way. But in any event, this this sense that we can compromise with evil. We can't compromise with evil. Although they clearly saw the human side, they failed to recognize the divine side that all just government is or the ordinance of God and that magistrates or his ministers must answer to him for the execution of their trust. Okay. Next thing. While he stated that he never introduced secular politics in the instruction of the pulpit, I repeat, he never, never went into the pulpit and introduced secular politics. But he equally insisted, but, this, but don't just take that quote in isolation. Let me give you the rest of it. If you read his works, you'll find these statements as well. A state that does not, and what he means by a state is more the state itself. A state that does not recognize its dependence upon God and a commission from heaven is false to the law of its own being. In other words, if if it says our foundation is from the people and doesn't have God in there at all, in some sense it, it, it loses its way. A state which should undertake to accomplish the end of its being without taking into account the religious element of man pauses its own arm. Subjects that have no religion are incapable of law. Subjects that have no religion are incapable of law. A state must have a religion in order to be truly obedient. And as it is a true religion alone that converts obedience into a living principle, it is obvious that a commonwealth can no more be organized that shall recognize all religions than one that shall recognize none. The sanctions of it law must have a center of unity somewhere. It, last point. Thomas uh, Saul states, as moral institutions responsible for God, sin has been the ruin of every empire that flourished and failed. Okay. Okay. okay.
1: you say as well, Andrew, I was mumbling about this, but uh, especially with our founding, the size of the law, let's, let's say that, right, right. They, they would have put a more, uh, a greater emphasis on the freedom of the individual um, and less, not just less power in those right. who are elected, right. but less
3: laws. For them right. to be concerned about. Yeah. Yep. And in a system like that, in some way, it's less
1: easily corrupted and the people are less easily abused. Right. But today, like you know, you connect it to the, the idea of the moral the majority no longer being moral, um, not only has the majority shifted, but the the number of laws has just tremendously yeah, absolutely increased. So right. not only does you know, not only do we suffer from no longer being the majority, but we suffer from uh, that majority view able to elect a man or woman, in some cases, uh, to carry out all of these additional laws mm-hmm. that are impinging upon uh, the people. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that again, it kind of gets back to state versus federal right. idea. Right. Um, but but I think that that was part of their plan. I think in avoiding the corruption uh, that we see today. Yeah give the leaders less power and less laws to execute and it's harder to do
0: that. Well it's more of a constitutional but you have fundamental principles that you govern the land. Right, laws, right, right. Right. right, right. Okay. Um I'm gonna try to get through three and, and call it an end today here. But uh, okay. You may have you may have departed with me on that one. But again I'm citing James Sorbel, okay, so Southern Presbyterianism as you can get as much a guy, nobody, nobody could be more rigid in keeping it out of the pulpit, but nonetheless, he believed that there were fundamental lines that you have to draw in this distinction, is all I'm trying to argue. Sure. A lot of people take Thornbull as an example of why we should do nothing and da-da-da-da-da. That, that's not Thornwell. Thornwell is not a guy who did nothing, okay? As a matter of fact, when the, in the Civil War, in, in the Presbyterian Georgia, the founding of the Southern Presbyterian Church, there was an argument that we don't even need to divide the church. Just because a nation is divided, do we need to divide the church? And will argued no. Okay? In the right we ought to be we ought to be united. Okay? That that and so so anyway, I think you need to recognize where the man was coming from here. Mm-hmm. The standards that do uh, I don't really have time to do this. The state does not promote the good and punish the evil according to the word. I'll try to pick this up next week, but there, there are two guiding principles that he offered. First, the state must acknowledge the scriptures are true and regulate its conduct and legislation in conformity with this teaching. It must pass no laws inconsistent with the will of God as revealed in this Holy Scripture. However, scripture is not a positive constitution for the state in that relation, it stands only with the church. Second, Thornton will propose that a formula according to which the state accepts scripture as nothing shall be done which they forbid. I mean, that's really all he's saying, is that the state should do nothing that's forbidden in Scripture. That, that's where he draws the line. The state only has a negative restraining power and has no authority over the consciousness of men. So very important points, every one of them, okay? And, and, and again, I think that, okay, we can get into all of that. We'll pick this up next week, but let me just say what my aim is, okay? My aim is, that we're kind of like Wiley Cody and we keep ch- we don't want to change our aim, okay? We keep redoubling our efforts here in trying to fix a state, I mean in trying to trying to somehow say this is right, we're heading in the right direction. We're not, okay? We need to change our aim. So my question, that I'm trying to struggle with, and, and I'm gonna try to pick it up not just this week, but I got two more weeks. Not, not, I added one more week to this to try to bring this to a close, is what should be our aim, okay? What what should this aim be, and how do we get there? Is it to completely remove it from government? I've asked more questions that I've answered, but I want to try to go through here and say where do you come out on this line? You may I may have lost you already, but ultimately the fifth line. Well, I don't have time. I don't, I'll, I'll have to declare victory here. Any any other quick comments we need to make? I think it's interesting how your know, like Cornwall says here: moral
3: institutes are responsible to God. send it in the ruin of every empire. There's a sense in which, as people, as just the regular people, we know that to be one of those truisms. Like, right. like we know that to be true. That the sins of our our collective sin, God is going to judge us collectively. Right. And when you think of things like abortion,
0: right. and, and you look at the
3: popular vote on these abortion bills in these states, the, the popular votes are winning these abortion right. bans. Because the vast majority of people even you know we just understand that we can't do this evil and not be held accountable but then we have our leaders telling us that oh no no it's you know, we have the authority to, to declare what's good and what's right and no one should be able to tell anyone that they they can't do something right it's, it's just interesting to live in such a time where not only I mean that, that's like that's what normal talking about we have leaders that not only think that man is right, might makes right, but they are right. right. And they right. can thumb the nose at God, right. and we as their subjects, right. we as the citizens, are like, no, you guys gotta stop. Like, right. God is going to judge us. We right.
0: don't want this evil in our life. Right. Right. But you know, what do you do with leaders like that? And i would and just pick up, let me remind everybody, the answer is in Daniel. Okay, that's the answer. How do you articulate the principles laid out in Daniel in terms of how a government and church and state and an individual ought to behave? That's where the answer is. So I'm gonna be real simple in my answer. I don't have an I don't know how to articulate that. I don't know how to write that. I don't know how to get to that answer. All I know is that, and I think you'll agree with me, somehow we've lost our way. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we confess that we as a nation have lost our way, Lord, we pray that you would. Bring us to where you're heading. But, Lord, we also have confidence that you have promised and you will bring about all nations submitting to you. And Lord, we don't fully understand the eschatological reality of that and how you'll bring that about, but every knee shall bow. Lord, it may not be until you come again at your second judgment. but we can debate those things. But nonetheless, Lord, we know that you will ultimately triumph and that, Lord, that we are, we are responsible as individuals To be subservient to your word and to look at what revelation required of us the blood of the Lamb. Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? The word of your testimony. Is the word dwelling in our heart? Is it transforming our being? Are we allowing it to do that work? And did not love their lives unto death? Lord, are we willing, to what degree are we willing to stand for you? Lord, help us to think of these things and look at the witness of Daniel in doing it. We lift up that as an answer you've given us in Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen.